Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. It is February 7th of 2024. The Bears season is over. The Super Bowl's this weekend, and I could not give less of a shit. So, folks, this is the offseason. And, Kyle, uh, as you suggested at the end of last episode this week, uh, we are going to do some performance reviews for the 2023 Chicago Bears, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to do performance reviews. We talked about grading them. Um, but, but, uh, there's so many players are graded constantly. They're graded by their coaches. They're graded by PFF. There's all kinds of grades out there. And I think, you know, letter grades are difficult because it, it's not fair sometimes to judge each guy by the same overall standard. So I think job performance are, are you meet? Because expectations are different for each guy, too. So are you meeting? Did you meet expectations this year? Did you exceed expectations? Or do you need improvement? We're just going to go through. We're not going to go through everybody on the 53-man or everybody that got a single snap. But we'll go through the starters. We'll go through some of the main snap getters, a couple extra guys on both sides of the ball, hopefully. And we'll just go from there. I, do we need to dive? Do we just dive right in? Do we? Do you want to start with the quarterback? We start with the big man? We did a, a whole fucking episode. Right, I, I don't think we need to. Yeah, I don't think we need to go into too much. But like, would, so for Justin Fields, twenty twenty three, would you have put him based on where you felt before the season was reasonable? Would you have put him at a meets expectations, exceeds expectations, or needs improvement? Uh, I would say. Uh, needs improvement still at this point. Yes. This is this is below where I thought he would be. And I think we kind of said, not in these exact words, but before the season, if he was falling into that category of still needs improvement, that just means you move right. on from him. I, I, I think it's fair to say he did improve. Because, I mean, last year you would have said the same thing, needs improvement. Sure. And I do think he, I think he has less to improve on than he did this time a year ago. And I think if you broke all of the different things he did into various categories. There would be a few categories where I would put him at meets expectation. Um, I, I did. There were a couple benchmarks he did hit that I wanted to see, but there were others that he did not. So overall, yeah, I think needs improvement still for Justin Fields uh, is fair. I think we have said so much about Justin Fields. I think maybe we can lay off him for a little bit until most likely the inevitable trade happens. And then maybe we will, Try to look at him with kinder eyes and bid our boy a fond farewell if that happens. So agreed, agreed. Okay, so the next up, should we, should we go stick with quarterbacks and just should we go into age into secret Bajent man? Like, yeah, I don't. Oh, I mean, where, I think where would you serving. put? Well, and that's why I think letter grades are tricky here because if I gave Tyson Bajent an A and Justin Fields a C minus, you'd you'd hear it be like this fat dumb fuck thinks that Tyson Bajent was better than Justin Fields. And that's not what I would be saying. I'm grading them differently. They're, they're, so that's why I'm going to say Tyson Bajant, I'm going to put him in at, at exceeds expectation. I really am. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, where else would you put it? Like, yeah, yeah. In, a, in, a, in a bottle, like this dude came out of Division Two. He should not have been playing a snap in the NFL this year. He came out. He got some wins. He looked fine. He looked like a competent backup. I would have never seen him as a competent backup in the NFL. And now I do. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I mean, if if Bajent is QB2 next year, I, I don't think either of us is, you know, I mean, 
this QB2 is what QB2 is. You're, you don't want to be in a scenario next year where Tyson Bajan's starting a lot of games. But I do feel next year with a whole offseason, getting all of those number two reps, um, having made the giant leap from Shepard to the pros, uh, I, I think Tyson Bajan is, I think they found a long-term Chase Daniel-esque backup quarterback on a rookie contract. That's good value um, if you can find it. So, yeah, I'm going to say Tyson Bajan is an exceeds expectations for me. Yeah, I mean, he got Luke Getze a job in Oakland. Yes, oh my God, I can't believe Antonio Pierce said that. <laughs> <laughs> like, we hired yeah. Luke Getze because he beat our ass with Tyson Bajan. <laughs> I mean, there are worse reasons to hire a guy, but maybe look at his whole fucking uh, uh, pile of work. Right. But that's the other thing. Our offensive coordinator now, Waldron, that's going to work uh, a lot more towards Bajit being successful when he has to make a spot start, too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think Bajit is an exceeds, exceeds expectations. No problem. Um, well done, Tyson. Good job, Tyson. Raise. All right. So let's move on. What do you want? You want to go offensive line, running backs, uh, tight ends, wide receivers? What position group you want to go with, homie? I think I think running back next. Running you want to go running back? All right, let's, yeah. let's look at our running backs. Okay, so should we start with the presumptive starter, the main snap getter at running back? Yeah, which see, was this Kelly. is where it gets interesting. So for the folks at home, I my PFF sub has lapsed, so I don't know how any of these guys graded out on PFF. You want me to give you the really, grades? You want me to give you the grades? Okay. No, 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 no. I oh. see. Here's what I want to do. Oh, you don't want to go? I want to go based on. First, like what I'm thinking right now, like what I saw during the season. And then I want you to tell me if I am a, a moron or if I'm correct on these, just based on the PFF grades okay. of the stats. Because I don't know, other than DJ Moore uh, and Justin Fields, frankly, I am not super familiar with like the statistics of anybody else on the offense. Yeah. So, okay. Well, st- if you want statistics, uh, the leading rusher among well the leading rusher was justin fields which uh wasn't a problem last year when he ran for over a thousand yards but was kind of a problem this year when he only ran for 657 uh khalil herbert had 611 yards rushing uh with a success rate of 49.2 percent he averaged 4.6 yards per carry he had 20 receptions for 134 yards uh, next up was Donta Foreman. He had 425 yards rushing, a uh, success rate of 53.2%, uh, yards per attempt of 3.9. Uh, he had 11 receptions for 77 yards. And then last we had, I guess, unless you want to talk about Darrington. Oh my God, did Darrington Evans really get 30 carries? He did. He did. Jesus Christ. Okay. I we we uh we that had did not feel like that many. Oh my god! I guess I, yeah, I forgot there was yeah there was that game against Washington where even Kari Blazing game got like eight carries. So um yes. yeah, so Roshan the the I feel like people well, we'll get into this in a second. People are a little too down on Roshan for my taste, but Roshan had uh, three hundred and fifty two yards rushing, uh, a success rate of only forty three point two percent. So he was the least in terms of. On a snap-to-snap basis, the least successful back they had. Uh, he averaged 4.3 yards per carry, and he had 34 catches, so was by, by far their best receiving back for 209 yards with a catch rate of 85%, which was significantly better. The other two, uh, Khalil Herbert had just a 64.5% catch rate. 
and Dante Foreman had just a 68.8%. So um, Roshan, much more sure-handed. Also, <clears throat> in terms of PFF grade, I guess you don't want me to tell you the two PFF grades. Okay, so you, should we, do we want to start with Khalil? Khalil, yeah, definitely the the starter going into the season. That's got to be the first guy in the room. I'm going to put Khalil solidly at a meets expectations. I don't want to put him at needs improvement because I do think, I think some people were disappointed maybe just because the expectations were a little too high. Um, I guess I've never really thought Khalil Herbert was like an elite back. I just think he's a pretty good one. He's, he's a first and second down back. He's not a third down back in my opinion. Um, but I think for what Khalil Herbert is, I think maybe I'm a little bit more realistic about what he is. I think he was fine. I think he was solid. I think 4.6 yards per carry is pretty good. Success rate was fine. Uh, I would say, was that 6.4 yards per carry? Did you mean 4.6? 4.6. 4.6. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think he was Six. almost. Yeah, 4.6 was... is solid. 6.4 means he's like God. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Khalil. I guess we have to go with meets expectations, but this is one of those uh, meets expectations that's kind of like we really maybe should have been more realistic about you. You know, we had we had a we were hoping for an exceeds, Khalil. We we saw a bunch of stats before the season from last year, like on a per carry basis, he was so good and uh, and all this stuff. We thought maybe if he improves the route running just like a little bit. Um, the only thing that's going to hold him back is the running room was so stacked going into the season, right? He didn't really leave much of an impression this year, did he? Which, which is, I think, what we should have expected. Just he's a good running back, but not, I mean, especially compared to the next guy, Deontay Foreman. I don't remember much of what Khalil did at all. This year, I think, frankly. so I think, so Khalil Herbert last year averaged 5.7 yards per carry. Um, Right, and so I, I think that. But here's the funny thing. So last year, his success rate was only forty seven point three percent. This year it was forty nine point two. So he was actually more efficient this year. He had more a higher percent of his runs were successful. He just didn't have the breakaway runs sure. that he had last year. Also, Travis, how happy are you that success rate is like a statistic that they track nowadays? Because this is this was your thing for so long. It you was. were so there, Travis in like 2009 was like, they need a statistic that tells me how, and it's not yards per carry. I need to know how often a guy actually gets like four yards at least when he runs, because I'm tired of these guys who pop off one long run and then are otherwise useless. Yeah, and I was like, had, yeah, maybe someday somebody will have that. And now they do. Now they do. We had uh, we had long arguments about that, and then the other one was uh, Juan Pierre versus Adam Dunn, right? Just like the stats yeah. aren't telling us the whole story about either of yeah. these guys. It turns out when once they invented war and everything, uh, it turns out that those guys were basically functionally equal in value to each other. They were polar yeah. opposites who added up to the same basic result. Anyways, um, yeah, so success rate Khalil actually got slightly better this year, but he, he didn't pop off those breakaway runs. And I think those breakaway runs last year were really more a function of just how explosive Justin Fields was and how much attention he was, he got and how many cutback lanes that created for Khalil. Um, I think defenses this year had a better handle on how to, how to defend Justin Fields as a runner, which meant that there were fewer opportunities for the, the running attack as a whole. Um, well, I also think, um, 
just that running attack in general. Let's talk about Getsy's play calling with the runs. Way less creative this year. And I think, again, you mentioned Deontay Foreman's success rate, which was significantly higher. I just think the types of runs Getsy called never changed based on yeah. personnel. And it just favored Deontay over Kalou. Yeah, it's, it's funny. The Bears were still uh, second this year. Or no, actually led the NFL still. Or no, second in the NFL this year in total rushing yards behind the Ravens. Um, and they were... One, two, three, four, five. They were sixth in yards per carry overall. So, that, I mean, that's that's a good rushing attack, but it just kind of felt the entire time. Like, they were just not... And, and that, that bears up compared to last year. Last year... So, this year they ran for 2,300 yards. A little over 2,300 yards. Last year they ran for over 3,000. Now, that was always going to go down a little bit because you wanted the passing offense to be a little bit better, and it was a little bit better. Sure. Not as much better as it needed to be. Um, but on a yards per carry basis, too, they went from 5.4 yards per carry last year to 4.5 yards per carry this year. It just felt – it never felt like the efficient, monstrous rushing attack that they had in 2022. Yeah, And I think there was a lot that went into that. I think – the biggest problem was that defenses came much more prepared to stop Justin Fields. Um, I don't well, think Luke, I, I think honestly, Luke Getzey. I'm still talking here. Are you man. go for it? Nope. I'm, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, 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 I just now you've interrupted my train of thought. I was. I, I said I think Luke Getzey went away from featuring Justin Fields as a runner for a large part of the season. Um, and as we talked about early on in the season, that has a ripple effect. It's not just about Justin Fields. When you do that, when you make defenses less afraid of that part of your offense, it makes your running backs less efficient too. It 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 it, it takes everything down. So I think Luke Getze, right up there, some of his designs were very bizarre. Um, and then yeah, so I it's hard for me to look at the Bears' rushing attack this year and the way it dropped across the board and single out Khalil Herbert. I guess that's where we started here. So yeah, I'm sticking with uh, meets expectations for Khalil. Yeah, we it's kind of a similar thing um, we had talked about when Mitch was the quarterback, right? Sure, maybe Mitch and Foles are the same dude when they're out there playing quarterback, but Mitch just being on the field improved that rushing offense. Um, I think it's the same with Justin. The other thing is, I think early in the season, Justin just didn't seem um, as willing to run as he did the previous season. He got a lot more explosive and a lot more interested in it late in the year, I think just by virtue of the Bears' seeming like maybe they could pull something off. Um, but earlier in the year, it just kind of seemed like he wanted to throw. He wasn't that interested in running. And I think, you know, whether that's defenses working to bottle him up or whether we expected defenses to bottle him up, it did hurt the run attack early in the season. Now, of course, that also lines up with the next guy, uh, Deontay Foreman. When he came in, Maybe it's because he came in, or maybe it's because defenses had readjusted. Uh, but he certainly left a, a much larger impression this year, I would say, than any other running back. Do you agree with that? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think Deontay. I, th- I think big bruisers always do. I mean, I think like I if you go back to the old one of my favorite teams of all time to watch was the old two thousand four the the DVD Falcons Dunvik Duckett. Yeah. Um, Duckett was the worst runner of the three, but he's the one that I remember even now, 20 years later, like what he looked like, because I mean, Warwick well, Dunn's one of the best. You. 
<laughs> yeah, Rourke does one of the best running backs of all time. But TJ Duckett just running over people is memorable. Um, well, and in terms of success rate, Dante Foreman was the most successful. But I also think that's, you know, because of what success looks like for Dante Foreman and when they brought him in and when you're hoping to just get one yard, two yards. Um, and Dante Foreman, for me, is also a meets expectations, frankly. Like, I think he was exactly... Well, he wasn't as explosive as he was with the Panthers, but I kind of expected that. You know, you don't expect a guy like that to have as many breakaway runs as he had against the Panthers. I didn't think they'd keep up. But he was successful mostly in goal to go. He was successful mostly in short yardage. Um, he was a bruiser. He stepped in. He was really big against the Raiders when he was the, the feature back. Um, so, yeah, Foreman is – but I also wasn't, like, overly impressed with him either. So I thought Foreman, for me, was a meets expectations too. Yeah, I would say he's a, a meets expectations, but this is more the actual uh, term there. It's like he was exactly what I expected, um, but he didn't like, you know, blow me away. None of these running backs blew me away this year, but I'm a bit more positive on him coming out of this than I am Khalil Herbert. Khalil just kind of, I, I think he just proved who he is, and that's a dude who we don't want to re-sign, that's for sure. Um uh, into the future, but Deontay, it's kind of like, man, you know, for a dude who's always going to be on the minimum or, you know, like a small contract, he's, he's very good. His success rate's going to be high. He does what he does. You don't expect him to catch passes and, and you move on. Right. Yeah. I seem sounds about right. Are we, we moving on to, to Roshan now? Cause I think Let, I'm going to let's talk about Roshan. I think so. Meet me in the, in the, the Roshan pit. I it's, I think there was, again, I think he's kind of, I would actually almost put, for me anyways, I would almost put Roshan as an exceeds expectation, in my opinion. Oh. I think, you, you, okay. you calm down now. You calm down now. I'm calm. Right. I'm calm. I think most of the fan base would put him, honestly, in a needs improvement. And, I mean, obviously, I do hope he gets better going forward um but the worst i would do is a meets expectations because i think people put way too much on him as a rookie i think there was a little too much hype this summer um over that but i mean like he was solid he so in terms of uh pff grade overall he was so roshan was a 65.6 which is above i mean that's that is PFF's own version of meets expectations. It is, absolutely. Um, Good player, not great. And the main thing about Roshan, is, and the thing that I thought he would be most useful at this summer, and that he turned to be, was pass blocking. That was one of his things that it usually keeps rookie running backs off the field. Um, and I said he looked pretty good at that. And then, uh, so his pass blocking grade this year was 64.8, which led the running backs the Bears had. It's still Khalil Herbert's weakness. Um, and it was 13th among all qualified running backs overall. So, and that's pretty good for a rookie. Um, like Latavius Murray, still around an ancient wonder, largely because he's considered a good pass blocking back. He's a good third down back. Sure. Buffalo signed him to look for that purpose. Rashawn Johnson graded out slightly ahead of Latavius Murray when it came to pass blocking. Um, so I, I really like that to me was the main thing I was looking for. From a rookie in Roshan, the yards per carry was fine. 4.3 is not bad. Um, the success rate's a little low. Uh, but again, not that much worse, really, than Khalil Herbert. Uh, or at least not even Khalil Herbert last year when everyone was so high on Khalil. 
Um, I will. I will, ultimately, I'll say meets. I will say meets because I, I I know exceeds probably would have been like a, the kind of season everyone was ex- seems to be expecting. Um, I just think people. I really do think people set their expectations too high for him, and and now because of that are too low. And I agree, he's maybe not a future star. I don't know that I ever thought that he was. I do think he is a solid rotational running back. I think he's a legit third. I mean, he's got good hands. Like I said, the catch rate was by far the highest of the three. Um, Drop rate was the lowest. uh, And he was a solid pass blocker. And that's very useful. A third down back is a very useful thing to have in a modern NFL offense. Um, So, yeah, I'm fine. I will will give Roshan a meets. Were you going to go needs improvement? Uh, I'm also gonna go meets. Uh, the okay. Seeds, I was right. like, come on now, uh, <laughs> but, like uh, get get out of here. Uh, yeah, I mean, have to, I I think we also really liked Roshan before the season. Um, we mentioned before the season started that maybe he takes the starting job, you know, sometime during the year. That didn't end up happening, um, partially due to injuries and partially because he just wasn't performing as well as a running back as the two guys ahead of him. Um, yeah, I mean, the part that needs improvement, if we're going to go there, is is the running. Um, he, did, he was not very explosive. Um, late in the season, he had a couple of really nice runs, threw his shoulder into some guys, and he started to look good. Maybe he just wasn't super comfortable to be in the year, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, Bijan Robinson also struggled this year, quite frankly. Like, he was not the game-breaking guy that the Falcons expected. Um, and they both came out of Texas, but yeah, I, the pass blocking was really good except for a few plays where it was very obvious that he missed the block and those things are the things that stand out, right? Like you remember these big fricking whiffs that got Justin killed. Him like, like Darnell Wright, who we talk about, they've kind of been cursed because the things you remember are the couple plays where they right. screwed up it's, and not all the other I think plays. the I think same with Darnell Darnell Wright's a perfect comparison because the severity of the blocks that were blown has outweighed in people's minds the rate at which those things actually happened. Cool. Like on a snap by snap basis, he was their best pass blocking running back. He was a, a good pass blocking running back. He was a great rookie pass blocking running back comparatively. Um, it's just that they, yeah, it's it's just that they, the whiffs were so notable and in such uh, high profile spots, and that that kind of makes I mean it makes people stupid, you know, the big that that kind of thing gets blown out of proportion for sure. Um, Yep. So, I mean, you look past that, you, of course he's going to make a couple mistakes like that, but otherwise, like like you said, really good pass blocker. It was very noticeable how crisp his route running in. It's very noticeable how soft his hands are. Um, he's got to work on the running back part of being running back, but that's what you expect from a rookie, right? A rookie, yeah. wait, we drafted him in the fourth round, right? Like, that's that's what yeah. you expect. So, yeah. yeah, meets expectations. Well, and I mean, we're going to get into wide receivers here soon because I think people are also being perhaps a little too harsh um, on their other fourth-round pick, too. But we'll get to that in a second because I think we're ready to move into – are we doing to do tight ends, wide receivers, or, or offensive line next? Let's do wide receiver. Let's do skill positions on down. Okay, so let's do – so the wide receiver position um, – Let's just start with the big man, the one that I think we'll probably say the least about. Uh, yep. 
believe it or not, somehow I would honestly say that DJ Moore exceeded my fucking expectations this year. Which is almost impossible. Well, I mean, I think if you told me that Justin Fields was honestly going to be a needs improvement, I don't think that I would have said that there was any way DJ Moore then exceeded my expectations. I did not think it was possible that DJ Moore would have the caliber of season that he had, and I would still be kind of disappointed in Justin Fields. And yet he did. It really did. Um, he DJ Moore was incredible. I, I, if any, and I, I mean, I, we were obviously high on DJ. I think because uh, we, we talked about when he was acquired. You know, we didn't think that he was necessarily like literally in that top tier of wide receivers. But we said that I, I think we said that we thought. You know, people talk like, well, he's not Stefan Diggs. Well, Stefan Diggs wasn't seen as Stefan Diggs when that trade happened. Correct. He was seen like DJ Moore, and then he went to Josh Allen, and then he's like, holy shit, Stefan Diggs. Um, and DJ Moore didn't even go to Josh Allen. He went to Justin Fields, and it turns out Justin Fields is not Josh Allen as much as everyone really hoped for a similar third-year breakout. And yet DJ Moore still exploded like, like Stefan Diggs with, did with Josh Allen because Justin Fields was, you know, for – all of us lost. Still, the best quarterback that DJ's ever played with, and I think God, I think we, I underestimated just how incredible that guy is after the catch. I've never seen anybody like him after the catch. Never, not on the Bears anyway. Yes, uh, like every slant feels like it can go to the did, house. Everything he did in Carolina uh, translated over to the Bears. Somehow, Justin Fields might still be the best quarterback he's ever had. Imagine what this dude could do if Caleb Williams pans out. Um, it's a spoiler alert for the Bears. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, like, it just, uh, it's hard to fathom. But, yeah, I mean, I thought, I think I thought DJ Moore was better than other people were saying. I was kind of annoyed before the season where people were like, well, this Bears wide receiver core is, like, good, but it's still, you know, middle of the pack. And I was like, wow, these people are really hating on DJ Moore. Um, but, no, I mean, I'm the same. It's an exceeds expectations. I didn't think he was this good. And I, I think I was one of his bigger fans before we traded yeah. for him. Uh, oh, you've been a so, DJ Moore fan. I mean, you were, you were a DJ Moore fan in the draft. I'll get Skycast wasn't around that long ago, folks, but I will give Travis his props. DJ Moore was like one of his dudes. And I think that was, what was that? The 2018 draft? Yeah. It was Cause he played, he, yeah, he played like one year with Cam in Carolina. I remember. Um, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like what an, an incredible asset to have. Yeah. Like we haven't had DJ, a guy like that since Marshall and Alshon. Yeah, DJ rules. Uh, so the, that's so we got to go from the exceeds to I think the biggest disappointment by far on the wide receiver. Well, I guess do we mention Claypool in passing? I'm going to put Chase Claypool yes, as a because, needs improvement um, because I did uh, one thing I wanted to do in this episode uh, was nominate one person for inclusion on the maybe in five years, maybe in ten years, the next time we run back uh, the the, the worst Bears tournament. tournament. We got to nominate someone, and I think for this year we've got a real contender, man. Oh yeah, Chase got to be clean. You know, we talked about when we did that tournament the the draft or no the trade slash free agent acquisition portion of the bracket being the 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 weakest bracket, um, and I think Chase will change that. I think Chase will he will make a strong argument for himself there. Yeah, so Chase Claypool definitely needs improvement. There, Chase Chase Claypool actually will go even. He's he's in corrective action, um, yes. recommended yeah, for right. termination. Um, anyways, but no, the the, the next biggest disappointment, uh, Darnell Mooney. Um, I think we would both. 
I think every other year of Darnell Mooney's career, I would have put him basically at an exceeds expectation. And this year he went to needs improvement. Um, And I think here's the thing to Darnell. It's not all his fault at all, um, especially like early on in the season. Um, I think if you look back at the tape, um, and it's it's a hard truth, people don't want to hear it, but there is a reason. Nobody thought Darnell Mooney was a bad wide receiver to entering the season, and then he suddenly yeah. fell off the face of the earth. It, and I don't think it's all Darnell Mooney. I think it's because in Justin Fields' career, folks, he has never consistently seen and gotten to on time to his secondary deep option. He's never had a quality wide receiver for two season. Largely, yes, because he had, for a long last year he didn't have a quality wide receiver too. But still, he doesn't. There were a lot of plays where Darnell Mooney was open at some point in the play, at some point in the progression, and by the time his quarterback either Justin Fields did not see him or got to him late. So I don't blame all of this on Darnell at all. But he didn't fucking help himself either because that drop rate was really frustrating. And so, you know, when you're getting fewer opportunities and you're visibly frustrated with everything, and I I understand Darnell doing that, you cannot have the worst drop rate of your career. Yep. I mean, he had five drops this year, and he has 12 in his entire career. Literally almost half of his drops this of his entire career came this season. I mean, it's, cra- it's crazy, like, for me to think that the Claypool thing happened this season, first of all. That feels so long ago. But it's even crazier to go back and remember how we felt about Darnell coming into the year. He was in talks for an extension. He was right. one of the guys with Komet um, uh, who people were saying, like, oh, maybe we lock him in now. Is it going to be $11 million? Is it going to be $13 million a year for three, four, five years? Uh, and now... After the season, we're talking about a one-year prove-it deal somewhere for Darnell. That is how far he fell this season, and it wasn't all his fault. We've talked about it the last few episodes that the wide receivers and the offense, like, who do you blame? Do you blame Getze? Uh, do you blame Darnell? Do you blame Justin? It's obviously not all Darnell. Uh, or Yeah, it's obviously not all Mooney, but man like yeah like you said the drop rate that and unfortunately unfortunately probably the image of this season is going to be that horrendous drop on the hail mary that's what we're going to remember so yeah this is darnell mooney's drop rate by season in the nfl 3.2 4.7 2.4 and then 13.9 now christ the extent of that jump Makes me believe that it's probably a fluke that it will probably like wherever he goes next year. I'm sure like, I don't think his hands just suddenly got terrible. And then also tied to the drop rate is that it, you know, Darnell Mooney is not ever going to be a 50, 50 ball guy, but he did used to win for his career. He's won about one of every three contested catches in his career. And then that plummeted this year to just 18. So for his career, he's at 29.4% in terms of contested catch rate. This year, that fell all the way to 18.2%. The effort to fight for the ball was just not there. And then the hands were not there. So, I mean, it's not Darnell Mooney's fault that he did not get the ball all the times that he was wide-ass open and his quarterback just didn't see him. But when that's happening, you can't then turn around and poop all over the opportunities you do get. 
Like, if you want to make the case that you are not the problem, you got to not be the problem. So, yeah, Darnell Mooney definitely a needs improvement there. Real disappointment. And if, I think that's probably the last time we'll see him in Chicago, and that sucks that this is how he's going out. Because up until this year, one of the best success stories they've ever had for drafting a wide receiver. To get that level of production out of a fifth-round pick has always been insane. Yeah, agreed. I mean, yeah, just super disappointing. And uh, like, unlike uh, a safety we're going to talk about on the defense, a guy who's just very likable too, like yeah. who you yeah, want to succeed. Yeah, I didn't want to be here with Darnell. That is that part's for sure. Okay, uh, let's let uh, let's move quickly. Where to cover Chase? I want to talk about Tyler Scott a little bit. We're I want to we need to get moving a little faster if we're going to get to the defense for sure. So, um, I Tyler Scott for me. It was a meets expectations because I I think people need to keep in mind what realistic expectations are for a fourth round wide receiver. Where are you at on that? Yeah, I as I hear you typing to pull some stuff up, uh, I agree. I mean, what here's what I expect from a receiver in round four. I expect he's not going to see a whole ton of action the first half of the year. I expect that he's going to have some ups and downs at those times, but I want to see the second half of the year. I want to see him be more noticeable on the field. I want to see him get open. I want to see him grab the ball a bit more, but I'm not, I'm not looking for big stats or anything. And that's exactly what Tyler did this year. Yeah. He had struggles early in the year. He was looking like Velas Jones out there a uh, second half of the year. And especially towards the end, uh, you noticed him on the field. Yeah, and uh, he was he was squeezing every ball. He was running every route. He improved in all the ways that I was hoping he would improve. And next year with an expanded role, I do expect him to to look pretty good. So yeah, meets expectations. Matt, like, what do people want out of a fourth round pick for the Bears? Yeah, I right? think. Um, well, like for me especially, uh, I mean, so Alshon Jeffrey had three hundred some yards as a rookie like wide receiver is a hard position to exceed at as a rookie usually the few guys that do are almost always first round picks um someone did some really good research one time basically that showed that like the difference between first round wide receivers and second round wide receivers after three years is usually not that much but the main difference between them is in year one guys that go round one are usually a little bit more ready to play um, and I'm not saying that Tyler Scott as a fourth rounder is going to eventually end up being as good as a first round wide receiver. He just needs experience. But I do think there is enough on tape. There is some solid route running there. There's a lot of routes where that he won. And similar to Darnell Mooney, there were times, you want to look at the film, there are times he's open and his quarterback's not seeing him because he was the third read in the progression. But there are times he cooks his guy and a different quarterback might have found him. And then, yes, there are times Justin did find him, notably against Detroit where he didn't make the play. And and obviously, you know, so I would say he's a meets expectations who obviously still needs improvement because he met my expectations for a rookie fourth-round wide receiver. He really did. I think he could be a good wide receiver three option going forward. Um, obviously, if he does the same thing next year that he did this year, then this what is a meets expectations right now is going to be a needs improvement. But I, I just think people have been a little... Same thing, the egregious drop and the big moment really has hidden people, has given people a distorted view of how bad he was. I think he flashed a lot of potential there to eventually be a solid slot and deep threat specialist in this offense. I really did. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think he did well.
All right, and then let's talk about tight ends, Kyle. Okay, we don't want to. So do we want we don't want to go into Bayless Jones at all. No, we're gonna ignore that guy's okay. getting cut. All right, like we thought that already. It still hasn't happened. God, it's gotta happen, right? Is there it's any be. question? It's the, gotta, like, <laughs> no. Why was he on the team? I don't why know. is he here? I don't know. Uh, you're I gonna make forgot. I you want to start on the team. You want you oh. want to start with Cole Komet, and you want to make me say it first, don't you? Yes, I do. Say it. I'm gonna give say Cole. It. I'm gonna give. Cole, I'm going to commit Cole. I would say Cole Komet exceeded my expectations this year. Uh, wildly? By quite a bit, yes. Yeah, all right. By quite a bit, yes. I thought, I think at this point, Cole Komet is basically as good of a true inline tight end as... As, as you find in the NFL right now. I think all the things that, that a traditional, good, true inline tight end does, um, I think Cole Komet does. I think he is a, a solid blocker. Um, I think he is... Uh, a, a, he's a solid blocker. I think he's very good against... Uh, zone. I think he it finds the hole in the zone really well. Um, he didn't drop a lot of passes this year. That has been an issue for him in the past, but he had very solid hands this year. Um, his pass blocking was good. I think he he finds the hole in the zone really well. He's a good red zone. He turned into he's turned into a very good red zone target. Um, I mean he re- he led. I mean all tight ends with more than like thirty five targets in catch and reception percentage. Like he very solid hands. This year, um, he was ninth among all tight ends in yardage. If he has a weakness still, he's not very explosive. He was still all the way down at 28th in terms of yards per reception. Um, and, he's, you know, I don't he's never going to be a Kittle. He's never going to be a Kelsey. He's never going to be that type of guy. Um, but he's right there in that in that tier below them. Now, there's a big gap between those two tiers. But, like, Cole got paid. And if you ask me if he earned his salary this year, I would say, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's hard for me to say I, I have slagged the guy his whole career. Um, and I do think part of the problem, and I'm hoping this is something that Shane Waldron fixes, because I do think Shane Waldron has used tight ends very well and very smartly in his career. I think a lot of my frustration with Cole Komet was never actually Cole Komet frustration. It was very much Luke Getze seeing Cole Komet as someone that he's not. There were so many plays drawn up by Luke Getze that that were basically built around the idea that Cole was going to win and separate versus man coverage, and that's still the one thing he doesn't do. Yeah. The one thing that I don't think he'll ever do. Um, and I think it's why you might see the Bears, it, like I said, they're going to run some 12 personnel under Waldron, why you might see the Bears go after a guy like Noah Fant, for example, to, to have that true move tight end who can separate in man coverage because that's still the one thing Cole doesn't do. Um, but that's not Cole's fault. I mean, at this point, Luke Getze should know that that's not what Cole does, and he should not call those plays up that are based on him winning those routes. So, yes, Cole Komet exceeded my expectations. I'm going to guess that's what you're going to say for him, too. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm not sure where he ended up ranked in PFF, though I don't think he could have moved around too much in the final three, four weeks. But he was he was a top five tight end. He was he was he was the right eighth, there with Mark Andrews. <laughs> like, he was eighth ranked among qualifying tight ends in terms of PFF grade overall. So right. ahead of him, it was well, and even uh, we're not going to count Taysom Hill. The guy only had let's let's set the minimum target threshold a little higher. Uh, so in that case, he was sixth. So the five guys ahead of him would be Kittle, Hawkinson, Kelsey, Laporta. Trey McBride, Cole was right there in the Dallas Goddard, Dalton Schultz, Jake Ferguson, Evan Ingram range, which is, I think, where he is for sure. I mean, it's um, so rare for the Bears to pay a dude and then for him to go out and improve in a way that justifies the contract. Like, I, I don't even... I can't even think of a dude they've done that for before, but he, he got his money and then he got significantly better and he proved that he was worth it. I don't, like you said, he is, he is the prototypical inline tight end in the NFL. Um, I, that's, that's the dude I would point to in the draft and be like, I like this kind of tight end. That's him. You know, it's him and Laporta. They're very similar dudes. Um, and I, I think they're just, I'm very impressed with everything that he's done. Like you said, his one drawback, he's not going to separate from guys, really. But very good uh, this year at catching contested passes. Um, yes. And he also, the other weakness that you've noted uh, prolifically before, that he tends to fall backwards after he gets touched, he really ran over some dudes the second half of the year. He really started to use his strength um, in a way that he hadn't before. So, yeah, I got no complaints about Cole. Exceeded. Even my expectation, like before the year, I was like, like, let's not hate on Cole. He's a good tight end. Uh, and now, you know, I mean, I'm like, he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Like, you know, that's a, a position of strength for the Bears. Well done, Cole. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to spend very much time at all on the other two, but I will say this. Mercedes Lewis meets expectations. The dude pass blocked and he pass blocked well it's what he does um or run blocked either good way good job That's, old man yeah uh robert tanyan absolutely a needs improvement i i i really hoped that guy would be a legit secondary receiving option as a tight end and he was fucking terrible uh i his last year in green bay wasn't very good but i had i had hoped that the the point there was that because it was his first year recovering from an acl tear um and so the, usually nobody's very good that first year after an ACL tear. Um, so you would hope that entering this year, he he would bounce back to his old self. Uh, but instead, he just looks completely washed. So, yeah, meets for Mercedes, uh, needs improvement for, um, I have already forgotten his name, uh, Mar or Robert Tanyan. So that's Bob it for tight Tanyan. ends. Yeah, yeah eat shit, I would, Bob. Uh... I got to. I mean, before the season, we were kind of excited about the idea of having finally having a good secondary pass catching tight end. And we didn't have it's one. Not, it's not just that he got buried either. I mean, when he was out there, when Cole was hurt, Fields tried to use him the same way he uses Cole, and it, it didn't, didn't work. Fucking work. It didn't work. So. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we are moving on. Uh, well, well, hold on. I guess there's one guy hanging out by himself. Curry, Curry, blasting game. I'm still going to give Curry uh, meets expectations. He's a solid fullback, in my opinion. Yeah, um, not much needs to be said about him. All right, so now we're moving on to uh, the offensive line. Um, 
I don't, we we may have to just do offense today. We might have to. I think it's going to be offense and defense defense later. I don't know if we'll do it next week though, because I'm ready to fucking get into Caleb Williams. I have well, prepared. Maybe, maybe we're going to have a quick turnaround. Maybe Friday we record. We put up put up another one here because we we'll have 15 see. minutes for the offensive line, man. Like that's yeah. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Right. Um, so we'll start with the offensive line. Um, let's just start at the very top with our boy, our our our. Our son, our beloved, we've loved him basically since like the second episode of the Scottcast we ever did. Yep. Um, he shined. He was the pick. He shined as a rookie. Let's talk about Darnell Wright. I'm gonna say we're so fucking biased. I'm gonna say that he. I'm gonna say he meets expectations though for Darnell because I am the one who set really high expectations for my boy this year, yes. and he fucking met him. I know that he exceeded him. Uh, if he exceeded him, he would have been like a Pro Bowl caliber right tackle already. And I think you see the potential there, but he did still have some rookie hiccups. Um, but yeah, Darnell Wright did everything that you could ask of a rookie tackle, in my opinion, quite easily. The pass blocking was very solid, or the run blocking was actually way better than I expected. And then the run blocking, I would say Darnell exceeded expectations. I didn't expect that dude to be kind of elite already at that particular thing. That was his weakness in college. Pass blocking, definitely a met expectations. Like I said, it does seem like almost every game there was one lookout moment where he kind of, you know, he was a big rookie and he was like, whoa, I've never seen that stunt before. Um, but he never, I felt like he never made the same mistake twice. I felt like he learned and adapted. Um, and he was very steady all year long. Um, so yeah, Darnell, he met my expectations, but only because my expectations were so high. So meeting them, it, it, it would be an exceeds for any other rookie offensive tackle. But because I knew he was the fucking dude, it's a meets for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, oh, so so I'm planning an episode coming up where we kind of go back over what we talked about before the season. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? I'm starting to pull clips so I can play them and we can talk about it. Um, okay. And, okay. Uh, I like that. I like that. One of the things we talked about um, was all of these offensive linemen, and my man, we could not have possibly nailed these these offensive linemen more than we did, except for me and Antoine Harrison. <laughs> but but everybody else, we totally fucking killed it. And yeah, I have to agree with your sentiment. I would say meets expectations for Darnell, but only because my expectations were very high for Darnell. Like you said, we both were like. Man, this seems like the dude we draft him feels like we've got a right tackle for the next ten years, and he absolutely proved that this year. The, like he's a total lockdown right tackle. Um, he's only going to get better. I kind of like we were talking about earlier when I mentioned Darnell Wright. When he did miss, it was noticeable, right? He, but it was always by like one of these superstar defensive players, right? The Chiefs moved uh, Chris Jones to the outside like just to run him against Darnell Wright for a play. And yeah, he got owned by him. Uh, but like you said, he adjusted for the rest of the game and he held his own and he locked down these great defensive linemen. Um, so yeah, I, he, he got run over a couple times, just like a rookie right tackle is going to, but he adjusted so quickly um, and overall for the season. Yeah. His pass blocking, his run blocking was fantastic. His knowledge of the offense is great. He is obviously in spectacular shape. Um, yeah, I love. I mean, he was exactly what we thought when we saw him he in the was, draft. 
He was the dude. Uh, so let's move over to the other side um, mm-hmm. of the off the, uh, the other tackle spot because this is a guy that because I see people, man, I see people pre- with that ninth overall pick, the Bears' own These first round picks. Fucking, people. I see people projecting Joe Alt and 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 Olu Fashanu and all that. Um, and like, so first off, don't get me wrong. Do I think that long term? Joe Alt is likely to be a better offensive tackle than than our boy Braxton Jones. Yeah, probably. Do I think Olu? Probably. Yes, but I think people Braxton Jones was an extremely solid tackle. He improved at all. I would say he's a meets expectations for me too, but my expectations were exactly what they were. I want you to be a top twenty or so. Offensive tackle, be an above-average offensive tackle on a rookie fifth-round pick contract, which he is for several more years. Um, and he and he was great at that. Now Braxton graded out this year overall. He had a sixty-eight point seven grade and a seventy point seven pass block grade, which those are fine. They're not great, but I don't want to make excuses for the guys. He had a, a very bizarre. Uh, penalty issue to start the season he got flagged a lot in the first couple of games flagged at such a rate that i was like that feels like a fluke and it and it was it went away over time i'm trying to see if i can get to pull up like just since he came back from injury um hold on clear one thing i freaking hate that pff does is when they automatically default the thing to show like conference championships or whatever so in the second half of the season, among all qualified tackles, Darnell Jones from week eight to the end of the season had a was sixth overall in pass blocking grade among all tackles, not even just left tackles or right tackles, just all of them. The guys ahead of him are Tyron Smith, uh, Bernard Raymond of the Colts, Braden Smith of the Colts. Wow, Colts got themselves a couple nice tackles. Got to hand it to Chris Ballard. That guy can draft the offensive line. Garrett Bowles of the Broncos and Andrew Thomas, who was what, like the fourth overall pick a couple years ago for the Giants. And then Braxton Jones. Now, he wasn't quite as good. uh, And and in terms of true pass set, pass blocking grade, uh, he was 11th. So that's pretty fucking good. Like You're talking a top 10 caliber Offensive tackle for most of the season. He's only in his second year. He's a, a very good athlete himself. Um, he's been a solid to outstanding run blocker since he the day he stepped on the field last year. Um, I'm not saying you can't improve on that guy with a Joe Alt or an Olufashana, but I think the gap, uh, and I guess, the, I don't know why we're having this talk this early. This is something to talk about when we get to, to drafting, but early preview. I think the idea... The upgrade that you would get over Braxton Jones to a rookie ta- or to a rookie tackle like that. First of all, year one, I'm not even sure it would be an upgrade. I, is there is there a question? It would, but be it would a be such a downgrade. But it would be <laughs> the the improvement you would eventually get to me would be so marginal compared to the improvement that you could get by say taking a wide receiver at nine that it shouldn't even be a discussion. And we'll get into that more later when we get into the draft. But anyways, for me, Braxton solidly met expectations. Pretty hard not to be thrilled with what he's shown through two years as a fifth round left tackle from fucking what was it Southern Utah? Yeah, I mean, 
meets and last year he was an exceeds this year he was a meets but that's fine he was a solid starting left tackle that cost them absolutely nothing do you people understand what that is a fucking lotto ticket that hit you don't just throw that away you're all insane i'm pissed at every one of you i braxton jones for me is it exceeds expectations yet again okay that's fine yeah i'm fine with that too year year two of a yeah. fifth round tackle, and he was yeah. a top 10 pass pro tackle. That is, there are 64 starting tackles if everything goes perfectly in the NFL. And he was in the top fucking 10 of pass protection. The Bears, I the Bears have never had a left tackle like that in my life. Not not even when they've had good. I mean, I, I, I would say if you wanted, so I would be, I was a little higher on Charles. Maybe Leno? Leno. Well, yeah, I, think, to, right? I think I think Braxton probably is a maybe like a Charles Leno caliber tackle. But the thing is, you people didn't fucking appreciate Charles Leno enough either. Like, do you know yeah. what a value, what a luxury it is to have a guy that you spent a seventh round pick on be an above average left tackle who stays healthy his entire fucking career? Stop drooling over Trent Williams. Accept what you have. Be happy because. For fuck's sake, I live through Jamarcus Webb, and you want me to toss away Braxton Jones? I Braxton was so good. I there is we don't you don't just get this guy again. Like if you draft Joe Alt or Olufushani, yes, I like both of those guys. We'll get into the offensive lineman later on. When we get closer to the draft, but there the odds. Of you getting Braxton Jones out of one of those guys. That's yeah. like their 80th percentile. Like, like well, if, if they don't even have to fucking bust for them to be okay. Braxton Jones and for so, me to be happy. So on the season this year, not even not even after he came back from injury when I thought he was a lot better anyways. But on the season this year, Braxton Jones had a 70.7 overall pass block grade. So if you look at... The rookie offensive tackles who got significant snaps this year, only one of them, of all people, only one of them, and not even our bully Darnell, whom we love, had a higher pass block grade than Braxton Jones this year. Every other one of them, and there are there were nine of them that got snaps, eight of the nine were below Braxton Jones. The odds that you get a, and, and Dewan Jones is a, we talked about him in the draft, we did like his potential as a pass blocker because he's so huge, but Dewan Jones is just like absolutely not even kind of a run blocker. He's, right. he's, that's he's, not who, that's he's, not really fair. He's an immobile statue, which works great in pass protection, but isn't what you want in the run game either. For Braxton to be a guy who is solidly above average at both is, is you, you are looking a gift horse right in the mouth. You gotta, you gotta not do that. Uh, that's he what I'm gonna good, say. He is a good left tackle who improved tremendously from year one to year two, which it's, means he's probably going to improve again from year two to year you three. Would, you would think it's the he idea does. that you would use a, you would use one of the most valuable resources in sports, a top ten draft pick, for a marginal upgrade at best at tackle versus. Yeah. Any of the other needs that they have is is so mind boggling for me. I'm angry just thinking about it. Let's move on. Look at the fucking Let's... look at the fucking first left tackle off the board last year, Paris Johnson. How did that fucking work out? Yeah, you like you think you're gonna get better? And I think Paris. I think Paris Johnson had a pretty good rookie season, and that just goes to show you 
That just goes to show you how low the bar is for rookie. T- it's a hard ass position. It's left tackle in the it's, NFL. Yeah, and he's succeeding. And yeah, people want to wanna, draft. You just want to draft the Notre Dame guy, right? Like yeah. that's what this is. Yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, we got ah. heated. we got hot there. I hope Braxton, Braxton, if you ever fire our podcast, like man, we are we're in your corner, bro. We are we are hot. We will fight for Braxton Jones, man. <laughs> all right. Braxton, so they, Braxton, they they put him on the bench because they thought he had a concussion for one fucking play this year, and I thought. He had been benched because he was so fucking upset. He, he has so much dog in him, too. Yeah. There's he, nothing to dislike about yeah. this man. So the next guy I will put on there is Tevin Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And and we'll move on to the guard position. And here's the thing about Tevin. In terms of what he did on the field, I would put the guy at exceeds because he was solidly a top 10 guard in the NFL this year, in my opinion. Without but the reason I'm putting him at meets expectations is because I expected that he would miss at least a month with an injury. God bless him, he did. He did it again. How how many games did he miss total? He missed five. He missed five. He he, hit, he made twelve okay. starts. He made twelve starts, which I think is exactly how many he made last year. We, yep. You can pretty consistently rely on the guy for about ten to twelve starts a year. It seems like at this point. Yeah, we. So I already saw some articles this year written. Um, about how weird the contract negotiations for Tevin are going to be. I mean, and it's they're going to be weird. They're going to be weird because I mean, on the field, when he's on the field, the guy is damn near fucking Quentin Nelson, but he's just yep. not on the field enough to pay him like that. His it's, it's clear whether it's in his head or if he has an actual issue that he has serious concerns with his, the base of his neck. Every yeah. time something comes close to the base of his neck. Uh, like he's freaked out. The bear staff gets freaked out. We have never been given verification on what this is, but there's some level of concern there. I, and I don't know if it's in his head and he is af- like, you know, afraid of being paralyzed at some point or if it's a reasonable not, like, some fear serious pain. Yeah, yeah, it is so. a reasonable fear. I don't blame him for that. Right. But yeah, like you said, when the man is blocking, he is beyond exceeds expectations. He's, he's yeah. one of the best guards in the NFL, but, yeah, I mean, five, if he's going to miss five games every year, I'm cool with that. If it goes beyond that, that's where you start to wonder if he's worth it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then we'll switch to the other guard position. Uh, Nate Davis, I'm going to put you solidly on a needs improvement, buddy. That was not... There were there were a couple flashes there when he first came back, when he, when he got himself whatever... You know the the family tragedy or whatever that kept him from practicing. When he came back, there was a, a he had a good stretch there. He really did. But then he got hurt, which, as we talked about before the season, is also something he does. And then from the rest of the season on, he just was not. There was not a lot of promise there. That's another thing I have to go back and clip is us talking about how obviously our two guards are going to be on the bench injured a lot, so we probably should have some backup guards. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's gotta be needs improvement from Nate. How, okay. The other guard that we were looking at in the off season, I haven't looked this up at all. Uh, so you'll surprise me. The guy who is the Eagles guard and then the Steelers signed him to play guard. How Samalo? Do do this year? Yeah. Let yeah, me take a look. Let me take a look. Give I'm it looking. a look. All right. Let's because find him. That is, that was our preferred choice for guard in this offense. All right. Samalo. Yeah, hit that music. 
Smalo. Yeah, much better than Nate Davis, man. He played, let's see here. How many games did he play? Did he miss any games? No, I think he played every game this season, including the playoff game, because God abandoned his people and let the Steelers into the, the fucking playoffs again. That's ridiculous. And he had, he was a 73.9 grade overall, 66.4 pass block grade, which to be fair, big decrease in terms of pass blocking from where he was as an Eagle. Um, although I think that's probably a little bit to do with who was around him. I do think guard grades are affected by the quality of guys around you. Um, and I think he definitely was around better players and obviously a better center um, in Philadelphia, but he still had a solid run block grade overall, 73.9 grade. Um, and again, he played every game this season versus Nate Davis, who played only five or only 11 games and had a 52.9 grade overall. So yes, we would have maybe a little bit more hope for Nate. Cause I think he is a bit younger. Um, but yes, if they had done what we had wanted them to do and, and signed Isaac Samalo, I think they would have been better off. That is very, very frustrating, but definitely needs improvement from Nate. And I don't know. I like, we can get into this later, but do, do I expect that improvement? Not particularly. quite frankly. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Nate Davis is definitely my biggest worry for the offensive line next year, precisely because I think his contract makes him too big to cut already. But at the same time, they should with, I mean, with his health and with, uh, Tevin Jones, uh, Jenkins, we said this last year, we really mean it this year, especially if Caleb Williams is going to be the quarterback. You need a third starting caliber guard. Yeah. You need a third guy. You're saying that Nate is the biggest concern because you think he'll still be around, unlike all of the centers we played this year. Right, yes. So, (laughs) like, was Lucas, was Nate the worst player on our offensive line? Absolutely not. That was whomever was playing center. Lucas Patrick for the most part, but it's not like, uh, God, Cody Whitehair wasn't, you know what? Should we, let's just, just start with them all. Right? Well, let's just start just, with Cody. Put him in a bundle. And I'm actually, so Cody was terrible this year. He was really fucking terrible. He was he, God awful. And a- yet I'll say this for Cody. I'm going to give him a meets expectations because boy, I thought he'd be <laughs> fucking, I thought he'd be fucking terrible this year. I did. I thought, well, it's really a bad idea that Cody Whitehair is still on this roster. Um, <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this, but I guess we are. And he met my expectations so hard by he sucking sure balls. He was, and I, it feels mean to say because Cody Whitehair was a great draft pick. He had a great Chicago bears career. He's one of the best offensive linemen that the bears have drafted in my lifetime. Um, Father time is undefeated, though. Uh, so I will wish Cody a fond farewell. If he's on the score next year as Bears expert Cody Whitehair doing pregame, I'll be happy to tune in. But it, hang him up. Hang him up, buddy. It's it's it, it's over. Yeah, so, I mean, him being terrible has not affected uh, how I will remember Cody Whitehair. No, it's affecting how I feel about how they built this fucking team. Yeah, it affected my opinion of Ryan Poles a little bit, not a lot. Yeah. Um, and if everybody else like, if you couldn't, if you couldn't see, didn't pan you, out, I would be yeah. pissed. If you couldn't see that, Cody White, I mean, well, we'll talk about this with Ryan Poles too when we start to get towards free agency, I think, is because there are two different Ryan Poles right now. Um, and Ryan Poles, the drafter, Ryan Poles, the college scout, which is what he did in Kansas City, I think that guy is pretty good at his job. Ryan Poles, the talent, the, the pro scout, the talent evaluator, the decision maker, I have some more questions. Because um, I think, I mean, 
If you're good at scouting your own people, I don't know how you couldn't tell that Cody Whitehair was fucking washed at the end of last year. He was he was old ass leather. Um, he was done. He was dry. He was dusty, and, and we knew it. So that's why he's a meets expectation. I mean, God, get him out of here. But that's why he was a meets expectation. Now, Lucas Patrick, I'm going to say that guy is a needs improvement for me. I don't think it's a problem. I think he's gone, but he's a needs improvement for me because I, I, I was foolish enough to think that if Lucas Patrick played, he would be like a, an average to slightly below average pass blocker and a, and a mediocre run blocker. Um, and what he ended up being was a mediocre run blocker and a fucking horrific pass blocker. True disaster. Which is not what he did in Green Bay when he was healthy. Last year I wrote off the abysmal pass protection because he was hurt so much, was playing with a cast. I didn't think he'd be as bad at pass blocking as he was this year. But yeah, he was a disaster on every level. Center, clearly the biggest need on the roster, in my opinion, in terms of what I would hope they address in free agency. There's some guys out there, but yeah, I mean, the center position as a whole needs improvement. Can't play. I mean, go out, st- stop doing what you've done since the day that, that Olin Kruitz was cut. Stop just leaving center as a thing to figure out, you know, bumping whoever your guard is over. Do you know, stop doing that shit. Go up, get a guy who plays center and plays it well, plug him in, help out your likely rookie quarterback and move on. Yeah, I mean, simple as that. Lucas Patrick was a disaster. Yeah, I think we both talked before the season, like, maybe it'll be okay. Only because he was hurt the year before, right? We were like, I, I thought, don't know. I mean, I, I thought what like... you said, I think specifically what you said was, if we had signed Lucas Patrick this offseason, you would have had more hope, I think. You would have been like, well, that could be an okay stopgap. Yeah. Uh, and for that matter... It didn't work out. For that matter, why the fuck did they trade an actual draft pick for Dan Feeney? Like, oh god! Like, if if you looked at what Cody Whitehair and Lucas Patrick did, and you still didn't even want to play Dan Feeney, the what are you doing giving up a draft pick for that guy? Holy shit! Bulls um, has he has tried this dance the last two off seasons, trying to you know pull these guys in these retreads and fit them into the spots on the offensive line where you have holes. Well, guess what? We have one hole now on this entire team that is a gaping chasm, right? And that's not the case the last two off-seasons. Throw some money behind it and fix the, the fucking center position because now, it's it should be so easy. It's supposed to be the easiest spot to fill I on do, the offense. I do think there is one more offensive lineman worth talking about. Um, okay. And I think Jatiri Carter actually exceeded my expectations a little bit when he played. He turned out to be... Us. I mean, in terms of offensive linemen, he was their third highest overall graded pass protector. And he got 175 snaps. So, I mean, it, uh, he had 100 pass, so it's not like it's on a 0%. I mean, yeah, which yeah. you're going to get on a team of Tevin Jenkins and Nate Davis. Right, yeah. And he was he was behind Braxton Jones and Tevin Jenkins, and then it was Jatiri Carter at a 67.2, and then it was Darnell Wright. Um, so not that I think he was better than Darnell. He was played a lot fewer snaps, but still, I think for a, a reserve guard, a guy pushed into, because for me, the ideal reserve guard, and I think that's what Jatiri is, I don't think he's a starting caliber player. And when I say that the Bears need to add a starting caliber guard, I mean they need to add a starting caliber guard. But I do think Samalu can still hang around as guard four 
um, because he's a dude that, you know, when you bring in a reserve offensive lineman, if you're a little bit of a below average run blocker, fine, but don't get our quarterback killed. And I think that's, that's Jatiree Carter and what he showed. He was pretty solid in pass pro. He was not a very good run blocker. Um, so we'll, we'll see if there's more improvement to come from, from Jatiree, but I would actually put him at an exceeds expectations because my initial thought, at least entering training camp was that Jatiree Carter wasn't a thing at all. So, well, in the way that they, they shuffled the offensive line right before the season started, certainly suggested they didn't have much faith in Jatiree Carter at all, which no. is why we started to think like, okay, well, good Lord, maybe this guy's isn't anything. Maybe he's not even worthy of being a backup. And he proved that, that he actually is, but I think yeah, it's, I, mean, I like, think what it actually was is an evidence of how much Luke Getze prioritized playing the better run blocker over the better pass blocker whenever given the chance. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just an ass backwards way to run your offensive line uh, in 2023. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the current offensive coordinator and if they have a, a different quarterback that maybe they want to at least see throw the ball a lot more often. Um, maybe a different staff would evaluate those guys differently. But yeah, that's that's the last guy. Sorry, Jatari Carter. I think useful depth piece. I still would like to see them sign another starting caliber guard in the mix. A guy that really you feel confident can step in and take over all of the responsibilities for when Tevin misses five games or when Nate misses five games. But I think Jatari not a bad option to have in there for a couple games if you need just at least the guy who won't embarrass you in pass protection and won't get your quarterback killed even if he doesn't always know where he's going when pulling on a run on, on a run play so right yeah i think the deal is jatiri is a very good swing guard um the yeah. guy you want to have on on your bench for an offensive line but when you field two guards who you know are going to be injured or inactive for between five and 10 games every single season. Like you said, what you're looking for is a third starting guard. You don't want Jatiree Carter playing 175 snaps. You want a starting guard coming in to play those 175 snaps. So hopefully this off season, we see that I have a feeling that just like we did last season, we're going to come into this season saying yet again, the bears have Jatiree Carter backing up, two extremely injury-prone guards, and we're definitely going to see the same situation. I hope they prove me wrong. I hope we at least draft a guy to put behind him to learn and take over for one of these guys at some point. I'm, I'm not holding my breath on that, though. Uh, that's, that's the offense, and we have gone past what we usually do for episode length. Yeah, no, that was... I don't know why I was so optimistic as to think that we would even get... Uh... We thought, folks, we thought coming into this episode, we were going to get the whole damn team out of the way, and then we would have time left over, <laughs> and we didn't get close. Uh, so, yeah, I guess next week or whenever. We'll, we we'll see. I'm ready. I have been, well, you know, I've been doing so much research on these quarterbacks. I'm so ready to talk about these quarterbacks in depth. I know. I know. And I feel like we've been teasing for like three months now. Like, the Caleb Williams stuff is coming, folks. Don't worry. It's coming. Um, and, and, and people have, you know, people have been saying, well, Kyle, you've been saying that you're coming for so long now. It's time for the release. We want it to wash over us. We want everybody's edging out there. Yeah. Everybody's edging. So I don't know if we'll do the defense next week or if we'll start in with Caleb Williams, or maybe we'll try to record a couple episodes in a, 
brief period of time because we did have a little bit of a long layoff since this last one. I had a gentleman DM me, concerned, wondering when the next Godcast was coming out. He apologized for annoying me is what he said. He's like, I'm sorry to bother you. And I was like, you are not bothering me by asking yeah. for the Scottcast. I love to know that you're out there going, where the fuck is my Scottcast? I want you all to be Scottcast. I want you all to be Scottcast junkies. Extra break, uh, yeah. Because we, we hit the algorithm uh, on a couple of services this last week. And I was like, oh, a lot of fucking yeah. people are listening right now. So, and then, of course, we're like, uh, we're going to wait a little bit to get the next one out. Maybe yeah. maybe we'll get back this week and we'll finish it up on yeah, we'll see. Because if I have to tell Kyle to stop talking about Caleb Williams for like another week, I think he might drive over here and kill me. Might be. Might be. All right. Well, that's that's the offense for now. That's everybody's. We've evaluated performances. We'll see if you folks agree with our evaluations. You know, if you want to yell at me on Twitter, you always can. Later, folks. In the Way on that now you know I'm leaving Chicago. And people that show do hate to go. Now you know I'm leaving here in the morning. Won't be back no more. 